podcast. I'm Andy Kelly. I'm joined by James Pearce, by Ian Doyle and by Christian Walsh. We are seven days into the Jurgen Klopp era at Liverpool and it's fair to say we've packed a fair amount into those seven days. James, it started on a, an incredible high last Friday, this huge wave of optimism as uh, Klopp was unveiled at Anfield. Yeah, it certainly did, yeah. yeah I think um, you went to that press conference wondering whether it could possibly live up to the hype that, that had grown all week once it became clear that, that Klopp would be Brendan Rodgers' successor and he certainly didn't disappoint. I think um, anyone who heard his words that day would have been you know, hugely optimistic and energised about the future. And I know the players have spoke this week about they felt exactly the same as the fans. You know, there, there is a real spring in everyone's step. They're all desperate to impress. Um, and uh, you know, obviously now he's had his first week in the job. It's it's not been ideal. I think it was no great surprise that we saw a more subdued Jurgen Klopp at Melwood on Thursday. Um, for a number of reasons, really. I think obviously the injuries um, would be tough to take. Um, you know, to lose two players in Gomez and Ings to season-ending injuries uh, in such a short period of time is a massive, massive blow, especially with the other players he's got missing at the moment. And then I think also, you know, I think probably the, the penny has dropped with him if he didn't know it already in terms of the scale of the task he's taken on. And, um, you know, for all this talk about, you know, full throttle football and changing the style and all the rest of it, very difficult to achieve that in a short period of time because, you know, we, we know that the squad didn't reconvene at Melwood till Wednesday. Um, they travelled they travel down to London on, on Friday afternoon. So time is very tight. Um, but uh, no, I mean he, he still he spoke really well. Um, but I think you know there was a dose of you know, there was a little, little bit less romance and a more a bit more realism about Jurgen Klopp at Melwood on Thursday. Ian, yeah, that, that that second press conference felt felt like he'd he'd had a hell of a week and uh, and, and and sort of you know as Jim said maybe a few things were starting to to dawn on him. Did you detect that yourself? Well, yeah, from from seeing it, he was, as, as James just said, he was a bit more subdued, and as, as James said, maybe that was partly to do with the news on the injuries, but also because he's you know he's realised what the job is, and it, not just in terms of the stuff on the field or on the training pitch, but everything else around it. I mean, we knew before he arrived that you know we knew that Jurgen Klopp was box office, but to be perfectly honest, I don't think we realised quite how much he'd capture the imagination of the city with the you know the people who've been taking pictures with him you know and you know well wishes and the, you know he, he's all over twitter every time he goes for a pint i mean he made kind of a reference that it looks like he's out in the bars and restaurants in liverpool every single night but obviously that's not the case it's just nearly every other night but uh now you know he, he is box office and that's something that i think I mean, to be honest there's been a lot of um talk about no one can ever remember a liverpool manager such elation when a liverpool manager got appointed but when Kenny Dalglish took over from Roy Hodgson, there was a lot of, you know, elation there. I mean, admittedly, that was more relief than anything else. But even then, there were people who thought Dalglish was he the right man. But if you ask almost every Liverpool, in fact, I'd say every Liverpool supporter, if you ask them, even the casual fans who don't necessarily go to the games, who just, you know, watch off the television or just take a passing interest, they'll know now who Jurgen Klopp is and they'll wanted him as the manager. Christian, that's the key, isn't it? Because Whatever you think about what happened to Brendan Rodgers, uh, what we did have was a divided fan base about his future, and, and, and that was starting to become a bit toxic around the club. Um, Ian's right, I think I haven't heard a single person not think that Jurgen Klopp is you know, a massively good appointment for Liverpool in, in, in the role, and that, that unifying the fans to a certain extent was task number one. Um, the football... Uh, is what he's got to get, get on with from tomorrow onwards, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, you say that, let, let's wait until after Tottenham and see how many people want him out after that. 
uh, win, lose or draw. Um, because such is such is the nature now of you know, Twitter and whatnot. But you know, it all in all seriousness, that being divisive, being divided, even is uh, it's been a big problem with Liverpool for a long time. It's almost it almost like back from the you know the Hicks and Gillette era of of the infighting and almost the, the club of civil war with each other. And it, it's a bit of a legacy of that, really. And um, Liverpool fans, you know, are not as one very often. Uh, but Jurgen Klopp managed to do that. And the, the problem is, you can't just rely on that. The results, as you say, the football's got to come as well. It's brilliant that the, the, the club feels united and that everyone's pulling towards the manager and that everyone believes in the manager. But that won't win you win your points, unfortunately. I mean, it can certainly like permeate. There might be a, good, a feel good factor around the club for a while, certainly. And it, what it would also do is, hopefully, with the vast majority of fans, buy him some time as he tries to impl- implement this, you know, high octane Gengen pressing or however, whatever he wants, whatever he wants to play. But it still does, you know, it's good that everyone's united. But the only thing that will keep fans united is is good results eventually. But thankfully, for now, you know, he, he's got that time on his side because. You know the fans do do believe in him. His, his track record speaks for itself. His, his charisma is you know undoubted, and uh, you know it just it just it's a it's a fantastic appointment from that point of view. I think in, in his first press conference in his 25 minutes that he came out with, as James said, more of the romantic side of it all. I think in the 25 minutes he bought himself 18 months straight away, just by doing that because the fans are on board straight away. With they these know, mentions know, of time, know, yeah, time. And they know this season. You know, even if they've only played eight games, there's still 30 Premier League games to go. Anything could happen now. They're not that far off the top, but you know they know that this season could be one of, I hate to say transition, but it will be. And then next season they'll, you know, they'll give him a fair crack. Then so he's bought himself 18 months straight away. He has, but James isn't there. Didn't Liverpool? Didn't Liverpool act swiftly because a we think there's still plenty to the, that that's there to be achieved this season in terms of you know possibly Champions League, but uh, you know all the other competitions as well but also obviously they needed to secure their man if you like and with things happening elsewhere there was it was too big a danger to let Klopp sort of hang out there for somebody yeah. else to grab oh 100% I think no, I must admit I was shocked by the timing of, of, of Rodgers' sacking and I think we were sat we were sat here then saying well hang on a minute you know, how does this make sense giving a fella £80 million letting him replace his backroom staff and then and then showing him the door so soon into the season when he'd been told, you know, fourth place would be success and you're only three points off achieving that. But I think over the days that followed, it became a lot clearer why it did make sense. And that was because Jurgen Klopp had been lined up to take the job. I think it was, it was interesting when he, when he sat down with the written press after his first press conference. Um, he was asked, you know, how many Liverpool games have you seen this season? And he said, um, oh, I've, I've seen the last three very closely. Um, you know, and you, you suddenly look back then at the, the fixtures and the results and you realise that it was after Carlisle at home in the League Cup that he was obviously paying very close attention. So, uh, you know, I think anyone who knows how football works will know that the idea that Liverpool only made contact with Jurgen Klopp on the Monday after they'd sacked Brendan Rodgers is living in cloud cuckoo land. It was, you know, they, they made that change because they knew that the Klopp was going to take the job. Um, and that was why they had to move as fast as they did because the, the reality is, you know, if... If Wenger had announced he was going to retire at the end of the season, if Mourinho undermounted pressure, Pellegrini is only ever a couple of defeats away from a crisis. And any top job, not just in England but across Europe, if that had come up over the coming months, Jurgen Klopp would have been on their shortlist. So once Liverpool knew that he was up for getting back into management and had enjoyed his four months off walking his 
is a golden retriever, Emma, around the little German island that uh, playing tennis. That uh, they had to they had to go and get their man because, as we all know, FSG. You know, it's not just a you know it's not just a sudden appointment. They want to, you know if, if Klopp had been available, he would have replaced Roy Hodgson. If Klopp had been available, he would have replaced Dog Leash in 2012. And once he once he did, did become available for FSG, they they moved quickly to get their man. Here's a here's a question for you then. Can you remember Liverpool ever making a managerial appointment that? Every other club would have wanted that manager. Oh, I've silenced everybody. I've silenced everybody. I mean, I suppose it's similar to similarities to Rafa, I suppose, yeah. in some ways, in the fact that he came with this, you know, blossoming CV where, you know, he'd, he'd, he'd won the Liga, he'd, 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 he'd won on the European stage, and, you know, the fact that he'd outfoxed you know, the likes of Barcelona and Real Madrid. Um, meant that you know he he was right up there, and I suppose I suppose even even Julier, you know it was you know he what well, he he been involved only in the World Cup uh, triumph for France, but uh, but you're right. No, I think you know it's, it is funny when you think that three years ago Liverpool basically had a pick were picking between Rodgers and Martinez, and now suddenly three years on without actually really achieving anything in terms of trophies in that in that in between time they were picking between Ancelotti and, and Jurgen Klopp to the two of the best managers around. It's interesting, isn't it? Because you could argue Liverpool don't attract big-name players anymore. You know, that, that sort of... Especially with the FSG yeah. model as well. You know, Suarez wasn't the player that he is now when they signed him. They don't they don't sign uh, those sorts of players, but somehow they've managed to, to snap up themselves a manager instead. And, you know, FSG like to, like to say, and, and they probably are all about the fine margins in, in football. And, you know, you just wonder if this is, this is the the best way to counteract the fact that they can't necessarily bring in and attract the best players is by going all out and getting one of the best managers. Well, the other side, I mean, the two sides that one then, it, you know, his record at, at Dortmund in, in turning young players into established stars, which is probably something that FSG would be, you know, worked absolutely bang into their model. The other question mark is, can he perhaps, can he perhaps more than... Uh, that than, than, than Brendan Rodgers attract big names, uh, you know, potentially, you know, from his from his background in, into the club. I think you certainly hope so. I mean, one of the one of the things that interests me about about the appointments in, in that sense is that Liverpool's most successful manager over the past twenty years, for example, have always come when when they sign managers or, or they acquire managers, that, and it sort of reflects the, the, the state of Wales football at the time. He got Gerard Hulier in 1998, and it was just as they were just after they won the World Cup, I think, France. They were about to win Euro 2000, and you know they, they were pretty much dominating world football at the time. He came in, and, and he was a bit unlucky, Hulier, because he he knew the French market, but Benger had got there in there a couple of years earlier, so he sort of had the stranglehold on that. But it was the same sort of idea. Uh, and then Rafa Benitez comes in in 2004, obviously four years before they win the Euros, and then go on to, to dominate. But he had the extensive knowledge of, of the Spanish market, of uh, Luis Garcia on quite cheap for six million, Xavi Alonso, young up-and-coming player. By signing Klopp, not only is he bringing in proven players, possibly because of the order around them, but the other thing that he might be doing is that he, he, he brings with him a, a knowledge of, of the style of football in the nation that at the, at the minute is on top of world football. So there might be a, you know, I'm just throwing it, there, there could be a... Uh, a defensive midfielder from from Mainz, or there might be a, a winger from from Hanover that, that the Premier League doesn't know because he's the only English manager in, sorry, the only German manager in England. 
You know, not that, that gives you that advantage. Well, you, you know them, so are, are there any? <laughs> I, think, I was going to say, what, what I think is interesting is it, 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 from FSG's point of view, it's certainly a move away from the model that, that they've always talked about. I think, you know, the idea that, you know, the way that Rogers ticked all the boxes for them was that he was a young up-and-coming manager who was almost like learning on the job, and that was what they wanted. You know, they wanted that, that young, you know, with his background in youth development, who was going to bring players on. You know, the whole transfer policy was built around investing in unfulfilled potential that then someone, you know, a young coach like Rogers, was going to work with on the training grounds and then improve them and make them better, which, which he did to, a, to a, a large degree with a lot of young players. But, you know, what, they, what I think FSG have found, and obviously in, in the week when there's five years on from when they bought the club, that, you know, trying to find value in, in the transfer market in football is, is, is very, very difficult. You know, this idea that you can just, you, you can be cuter than, the, you know, the, the fact that you only have to look at the league table compared to who spends the most money, who's got the highest wage bills. You know, that, that is why Liverpool have struggled to compete at the top end under FSG. It's not, you know, it, you end, it ends up being a false economy when you go and splash 20 million on, on Markovic and, you know, and Lovren and Moreno and, the, you know, Balotelli even. You know, when you're, not, when you're not shopping for elite players, you, you're then desperately trying to find value that then ends up costing you a fortune because then you, you see these players shipped on and, you know, they haven't delivered. So I think that's going to be the interesting thing. Now they've got a world-class manager in Klopp which is different from what they've had before, will they now then shift their transfer policy accordingly and try and now attract players? Because you know, I think part of it up to now is, A, Liverpool just haven't been in the market to compete with the top clubs for the best players, and B, it wasn't the, it wasn't, you know, it, it wasn't the strategy. Well, now they've got the manager who's capable of attracting those players. Are they going to get the checkbook out and actually go for them? Dorley, what we do know is you can't get the checkbook out until January. As we mentioned earlier, we had the two big setbacks with uh, Gomez and uh, with Ings this week, uh, which was probably you know real eye-openers for Klopp. We heard today that uh, Rosser, who probably wouldn't have been in line to start at Spurs anyway, but perhaps would certainly have been in his plans as he looked ahead perhaps to Ruben Kazan or, or, or whatever uh, for his first home game. Um, do you think he's had enough time to make an impact in terms of what we'll see at Spurs, in terms of anything other than you know, motivational and, and sort of new manager and the traditional view, which I'm not sure is exactly borne out by the statistics that, but uh, that, that a new manager will always give you a little lift anyway. Well, in, in, the short answer to that is no. There won't be much time for him to have done anything very much, to be honest. Especially the international break. Well, that's it. Yeah, he only had the players for about two or three days, and that, that'll be about it. But I think you you mentioned the new manager effect that comes in with with you know with many many managers that come in. But the other thing is, as we've kind of been talking about for weeks on end, and James mentioned before, is that the place was on such a, you know, Liverpool was on such a downer, the club, that Klopp coming in at any time would have been a positive, had a positive effect, but particularly now with the way things have gone, I just think the whole place has just lifted. Without, In fact, in some ways it was even better than they haven't had a game. I know it sounds, it's, it sounds slightly it's odd. It's kept the honeymoon yeah, period it's, going. Yeah, basically, yeah. <laughs> Because it's given him a bit of momentum, and I think you know the players would have been absolutely desperate for, to, to get a game. They'd have been desperate, even the ones that have been away in international duty. You know, they'd, they'd have been thinking, "Oh, can't, can't wait! You know, can't wait to get back. I want to see what the new manager is going to be like." And more importantly, I want to get in the team. Now, even the ones that are in the team, I want to stay in the team because he's going to come with his own ideas. And you know, everybody knows the kind of football Klopp likes to play. And there'll be some players who are thinking, "Oh, I'm not sure whether I'm 
uh, this is this is whether I yeah. seem to be the right kind of player. I want to change to be that player. Or some players may just go, well, I don't want to be that player. Maybe it's best for me to go somewhere else. But he's going to have at least two or three months to work out which players they are. Christian, it's ironic in a way that he's Klopp starting at one of the away grounds that we know Brendan Rodgers had a poor record against top teams uh, in his reign. But one of the, if you like, one of the... The, the teams that he did have a uh, have a good record against was Spurs, and obviously you remember those two trips to by Hartley in the last couple of years, almost like qu- quite sort of landmark games if you like the the, the five one where we put a sort of you know poor record there five to bear. nil five nil sorry and and obviously the brilliance of you know the, the Flano goal and and you know the, the that felt like a massive together moment and then of course start of the season last year you had Balotelli's debut. Um, uh, you know, it looked like him and Sturridge could become a partnership, and it seems such a long time ago now. But uh, you know, it's it's actually only you know just over a year really. And uh, White Hart Lane's been, you know, last couple of years has been a good place for Liverpool. And again, more irony on top of that irony is that White Hart Lane before then was was actually a terrible ground for Liverpool. They just routinely lost two one, if I remember. Or four nil, as it was under Kenny. Um, but. I, I think I think the Rodgers five 0 I think that was almost a, if Liverpool would have won the league that season, that was almost a season-defining game because it was obvious what Brendan Rodgers wanted to do with the team. But until then, it, it didn't quite click. But there it clicked. You know, away from home against a really good team, the midfield was pressing like nothing I've ever seen from a Liverpool team before. Suarez was just absolutely destroying the back line. Granted, the Asquasas back their high line was hilariously bad on that occasion. But yeah, it's, it's an interesting one because it does seem like the, the, the sort of place that Liverpool can go in and exploit. Of course, it was Benitez's first ever game as a Liverpool manager in, in the Premier League, which was a white card lane as well. Um, it, it does seem a long time ago, Balotelli and Sturridge. I always remember the, the picture of Rodgers laughing as Balotelli missed from the halfway line, having a go, you know, at 2 0. And, you know, he, was, he wasn't laughing much two or three months later when he was trying that. Um, but. It's a big game. They're a good team, Spurs. I think. I think it's it's one of it's one of those. It's one of the hardest games for Liverpool could have because they're not in the upper echelon of teams. In terms of if you go into an Arsenal or a City or United, you turn around and say, well, fair enough, Liverpool don't get a result out of this because they can't really be expected to. But at the same time, it's it's not an easy game. So they're coming to the game with high expectations, but also a a pretty high probability of, of having a really long period of, of, uh, of the game under pressure. James, the after Spurs, we've got obviously Klopp's first home game, and I'm sure the tickets for Ruben Kazan have been going uh, a lot better since uh, since the announcement. Do you think Klopp's European background and the fact that Europa League's taken a lot more seriously uh, on the continent will see him perhaps? Uh, you know, target it more as a, more as a tournament than you know Rogers' selections in the early stages would have would seem to indicate that he was intending to. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how he does how he does approach the Europa League. I think I think you're right with Rogers. I think because he knew he was under pressure and fighting for his job, it was all about the Premier League. You know, that was he knew that regardless, you know, forget the Europa League, forget the the League Cup. It was all about the Premier League. Staying in touch with the top four was going to keep him in a job. Um, and I think you know he, his attitude was, uh, we just need to scrape through, just do enough to get to qualify, which as it stands at the moment, Liverpool you know they two played two drawn two two 
pretty painful games to watch, but you know they're not in a disastrous position. Um, I think in terms of the way Klopp will approach it, I think in many ways it's probably his options have been heavily depleted anyway. I think you know we talk about the injury situation, and um, you know I, you know in, in terms of Tottenham first up, the only one who obviously has lost this week who would have started the Tottenham anyway is Ings, um, but certainly you know uh, Gomez. Um, and Jordan Rossiter would have come into his thinking for Ruben Kazan at home. So I think you suddenly look at the squad at the moment, and obviously we're expecting Benteke and Firmino to be back in full training next week. But he was he was indicating yesterday that neither of them would be ready for Kazan on the Thursday. Obviously Henderson's still out, Flanagan's still out. So I think he has, doesn't really have much choice at the moment. But to take the Europa League seriously, because you know, he, he, the, the depth of the squad is that thin at the moment with the absentees, I think... Um, you know, I think it will be a very strong team that lines up against Kazan, and uh, you know it is an issue because, you know, like I said, you know, I don't think I don't think the injuries is a massive issue for Tottenham away, but it certainly is a massive issue when you look at the run Liverpool have got coming up with three home games in the space of six days. Christian, because a manager, it's a bit like a snooker player. You don't think just about the first shot or the next game. You're you're plotting what team you're going to be playing, especially when you get two games a week. You know, if we have with Rubens Kazan coming up midweek next week and then Bournemouth the week after the League Cup because you win the Bournemouth game and suddenly you're into what? Uh, last Fifth round, last 16. Four finals. Four finals I think, yeah, last yeah, eight, last Bournemouth. Eight, Bournemouth. Bournemouth. Yeah. I mean no, Eddie Howe's probably the only manager who's been just as unlucky as Klopp has with injuries, you know, two, two of his massive signings out for season two. Uh, he changed ten in his last, uh, in his last, uh, uh, you know, capital of one cup game. So you'd expect they'll bring a much changed team. So there's a big chance there to get into the later stages of competition. But you would have thought he would have wanted to use the squad a wee bit to see what he had. But he's not going to have a huge a lot of options when you lose two players effectively out of your squad for the whole season. He's not far, far, far maybe storage and. Milner, perhaps to give to give him a little bit of a rest. You can't really see where where that rest is coming from for the other teams. Um, so it's it, the the big problem Klopp's got as well with this is that the game. The, the, I can't even say it, the Gagan press and the Gagan press. The pressing, the pressing. Please, yeah, the, yeah, yeah. the German pressing uh, <laughs> that, that Klopp loves to do at Dortmund. It, it is a very sort of, as you said, it's a bit of a high octane. Re, you know, relies on a lot of stamina, a lot of energy, a lot of a lot of pace, and you will need to rotate your squad. It works so well at Dortmund, but they didn't have nearly as many games as as Liverpool will for the start of the league season. Is four games shorter. I don't think the cups as arduous as, as they say they haven't got two cups. Uh, only one cup. One yeah, cup. Yeah, yeah. Half of it's um, over by the time the league season starts. Yeah, yeah exactly. And they've got to play people like you know <coughs> teams like Stuttgart kickers who aren't even real. They're Sabutio team. <laughs> so um, you know it's. <laughs> <laughs> they basically, basically got a. He would, I think, he would have welcomed, massively welcomed, a squad to work with, if only to, to rest a few legs as he tries to implement this style. Because without that, I mean, you, you don't want. To, I don't want to sort of second guess what Jurgen Klopp will do, but you don't want him to second. You don't want him to sort of go with a halfway house and go. Well, I've only got this core of 15 players. I can't make them run for 90 minutes as I did at Dortmund, because. Come December, they won't they won't have anything. So, it, you know that's that's where the biggest problem is. It's not necessarily the cup competitions. It's just in general. You know, I was down at the academy last Saturday morning when uh, you know Klopp turned up to watch the under 18s. Is this sort of injuries within his main squad? Uh, we know he's a, a backer of young players. Could 
could it mean that those young players who are fit and ready um, could potentially uh, you know, get opportunities? We know Brendan Rodgers gives them opportunities in the likes of Europa League. League Cup, could this be uh, a chance for uh, some of the uh, young players in the academy to uh, make their mark on the um, new manager? I'm not sure to be honest, I think maybe on the bench that's about it, because if they were ready now I suspect that you know, Brendan would have played them by now, you know, Chirabea played, you know, Ross has played but he's injured, you know, and uh, you know, Gomez has played again, he's out, so it, you know, he's a little bit, as the lads have said, he's a little bit down to his bare bones, but that might work in his favour in so much as he'll get to see all his senior players straight up and be able to work maybe on a system or a style and implement it a lot quicker than maybe if he was just playing one game a week. I mean, how many, I think it's like five or six games in 17 days or something like that yeah. until the next <coughs> international break. And for a lot of the players in the international break, they're, they're all going to have been qualified already. They're not going to be involved in playoffs. Yeah. They'll be friendlies and they might just go, well, can I just sit this one out? So there is a chance that maybe he will play a strong team for, for you know this this next period of games he'll play the strongest team possible because you know as you've said you know they could get to the quarterfinals of the the league cup they could be you know more or less sealed qualification to the knockout stages of the you know the Europa League and then they might be able to sit back and then go okay right well I've now had six seven games I now know what everybody can do and now I can make an assessment from there. It'll be best to rest players and see on away for example. Well, exactly, yeah. Now. yeah. Yeah. Um, Listen, we'll finish up just by harking back to the, I think the last time we did a podcast, which was the night Brendan Rodgers uh, was sacked, and, and, and where we've come from then to here. Uh, you know, that's you know a week and a half uh, in time, maybe a little bit more. Um, Christian, well, how do you think the club stands now from from that day? Uh, you know, when when Brendan Rodgers was sacked. I think it sounds a little bit more serious to be honest. I think it shows that I think there was rightfully a lot of questions and there still are hanging over FSG you know, about what, what exactly they want from, from, from owning Liverpool and what exactly their hopes and ambitions are in, in running the club. This at, at the very least short term is sort of you know on the five year anniversary of them close to the five year anniversary of taking over it sort of reassured those fears a little bit. They've appointed the winner. Now what? What they've got to do is, is ensure that he's got the right environments and he's got the right tools to, to win. Dolly, your thoughts? Well, <coughs> at the risk of sounding very me, I think there are. <laughs> I think they are the, we're used to we, it. We, yeah, yeah, everybody knows what that means. In terms of the actual football, they're in exactly the same place as they were two weeks ago. Yeah. They're in, what was it, ninth in the Premier League? Ten. You know, tenth, sorry, did even worse than I thought. You know, tenth in the Premier League. But what's changed is the whole mindset of the club and more importantly the mindset of the supporters because as we've said straight from the off in this in this podcast is that I think it's Christian said it they managed to in a stroke unite yeah. all of the supporters which is something that you know as far as I'm concerned there was a massive hangover from not winning the league 15 16 months ago and they never ever ever got over it the fans never got over it a lot of the players never got over it and I don't to a certain degree I don't think the manager ever got over it either and I think that's just because it exhausted them and they were so close having waited so long. I mean, talk about Brendan very briefly. You know, he'll come again, he'll be a decent manager somewhere else. You know, but yeah, as we've said, you know, Liverpool have finally got somebody in who's a world class manager and it's the first time they've brought someone in like that since you know, since the days of Benitez and that didn't work out too badly. James, have you got over your hangover from twenty thirteen, fourteen yet? <laughs> I think I think the big thing in the la- in the last couple of weeks has has just been that that complete change in the mindset. I think everyone went away from Goodison thinking, do you know what? It wasn't horrendous, but it was 
it was painful to watch for a lot because it was, you know, it, that wasn't the performance of a group of players who had stopped playing for the manager, but it was disjointed. There was no real fluency to it. You could never, you couldn't really see what they were trying to achieve in that second half. And that had been the story of the season so far. It just felt that Liverpool were just plodding along, and things might have got better, but they might, not, you know, didn't. There was no, no great hope to cling to. Um, and then suddenly you've got this complete change in the mindset. And, and I think, you know, that away end, there's me 3,000 Liverpool fans in White Hart Lane on Saturday lunchtime. And it's going to be absolutely, you know, banging there. And, they, you know, the, the atmosphere will be completely different. To, you know, I think about Old Trafford a month ago when, you know, I think I remember Rogers telling the players to go and clap the away end. And they were clapping empty seats because they'd all got <laughs> off. It, it was, you know, it was ridiculous. After Mr. Benteke's goal, I know. Yeah, he was telling them to go back, and there was no one to go back to because they were all desperately trying to get back down the East Lank. So, you know, I think, and, and as we saw in twenty, you know, in that title challenging season two years ago, just how important Liverpool fans can be when 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 the team is on a roll, because you know that that year when we were you know, up, up there challenging for the title, there was this amazing momentum and this amazing unity and bond between the players and the fans that just kept on rolling and rolling. And, and, I, and I think Klopp will benefit from that. I think certainly in the short term, we're not going to see some drastic change in the style of play. He's so restrictive in terms of what he can do. But I think, you know, as we've seen so far, he, he's a great orator, a great man-manager and a motivator. And I think that'll be the big difference we see. I think you know he's talked about that this week about wanting the players to open their chests and to play with bravery. And I think you know that's that's what fans all want to see at White Hart Lane. Far too often this season, the heads have gone down, the shoulders have hunched when things have gone against Liverpool in games. And I think you know that is where we'll see the clock factor in terms of you know the the, the, the body language and the attitude being better. And, and hopefully you know that'll be enough to, to trigger a transformation in the in the club's fortunes. Well, the Time for the talking to stop, uh, the action to start, and the Jurgen Klopp era to get underway. Uh, uh, in full tomorrow at White Hart Lane. See you next week. Thanks for listening.